In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. National Forest System, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. For me, travel has been the university of my life, and I think that I've learned about who I am being on the road. And the farther from home I got, the more at home in myself I I've, have felt. That's writer Andrew McCarthy, author of the new book Walking with Sam, a memoir about Andrew's five-week pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago with his teenage son. And I'm Aislinn Green, Associate Director of Podcasts at Afar, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. Some of you may know Andrew from his work in film and TV. He starred in such 80s classics as St. Elmo's Fire and Weekend at Bernie's. And more recently, he's directed TV shows like Good Girls and Orange is the New Black. But I'm actually more familiar with his work as a travel writer and editor. As a young man, Andrew picked up Jack Hitt's book, Off the Road, a memoir about walking 500 miles of the Camino. And shortly after, Andrew was on a plane, following the same route. It's not an overstatement to say that that pilgrimage changed his life and turned him into a traveler. Since then, he's written four books. He was the editor-at-large for National Geographic Traveler for a dozen years, and he guest-edited the Best American Travel Writing Anthology. And in 2010, he participated in one of Afar's first Spin the Globe trips. That year, we spun the globe and sent Andrew to Ethiopia with less than 24 hours' notice. Check out our show notes for that story, including how he got himself arrested. Andrew's latest book, Walking with Sam, came out May 9th. As his son took his first steps into adulthood, Andrew wanted to recreate his own first Camino walk and cement their bond. As they walked, sometimes together, sometimes apart, they faced blisters and hours in the baking sun, the paradoxes of solitude and companionship, and the transformative power of the Camino pilgrimage. Let's get into our conversation. Well, Andrew, thank you and welcome to Unpacked. We're so happy to have you here today. Good to be with you. We're here to talk about your new book, Walking with Sam, which I have savored over the past couple of weeks. 
And I've only read excerpts of Jack Hits off the road, but the that kind of combination of frankness and humor that he weaves together is also such a hallmark of your new book. And I was just curious, you know, it made me laugh. I, it was poignant and realistic. It felt like a real travel memoir. And I, you know, it made me reflect on my own family dynamics. And I was curious, how did you hold and balance all of those aspects while writing the book? Well, I mean, I have been um, a travel writer, I guess, for the last 20 years or so. And so it's a place where I easily and happily find myself on the page. And there were three aspects I wanted to weave together when I was doing it. One was the travel, the physical journey, the literal journey of that, and weaving in then the emotional experience of what happened with uh, my son walking across the Camino and the emotions that went on internally there and when recollections of my own father, because in many ways it's a father-son book uh, and parenting sort of memoir. And also then to tapping and tying into the history of the Camino and sort of braiding those three things together, those separate strands, hopefully into one and one would sort of feed into and launch into the, the other. Yeah, well, it came through beautifully. I don't want to steal too much of the premise because, you know, of course, we want listeners to read the book. But for listeners, could you briefly explain why you decided to embark on a second Camino pilgrimage? Yeah, well, should we explain at all what the Camino is? Or I guess everyone would know what the Camino is. But um, yeah, go for it. I did first hear about the Camino when I read Jack Hitt's book, Off the Road. And it was about his, you know, it's a, the Camino's an ancient pilgrimage route that dates from the 8th century when the Catholic Church said that the bones of St. James the Apostle had been found in the westernmost reach of the Iberian Peninsula, and anybody who marched there would uh, get half their time in purgatory knocked off, which is a good <laughs> deal, right? Well, I think what it primarily really was about, though, was real estate in that Islam had taken over the Iberian Peninsula, and the Catholic Church wanted it back. So I, what they were saying, in essence, was why, why you're marching across Spain to get your almighty soul cleansed. Why don't you kick out those damn Moors? You know, and so it was about the Christian reconquest of Spain. It started the, the Crusades and, you know, the Knights Templar and all that good bloody stuff. So it really was, I think, much more about that. And frankly, I mean, the Catholic Church has walked back everything about St. James and that he doesn't, probably wasn't even ever in Spain. Yeah, But it has an interesting history, a fantastic history. And, you know, along the way, there are all the great churches, those old Romanesque churches dating from the 8th, 9th, 10th century that are fantastic. And so what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) I was um, wondering if you could explain why you decided to embark on this trip with your son, essentially. Uh, Why why I wanted to do it with the second time. Well, yeah, I did it 25 years ago, and it was life-changing for me. I I found it illuminated for me... um, well, I had a moment in a, in a field of wheat, and halfway through the walk, there's the thing called the High Meseta, which is this high desert, really, a plateau, and it's days upon days of walking through wheat, and it's known to sort of wreak havoc with a walker's mind. And I, I mean, Don Quixote was in the southern Meseta for most of his, so you kind of really understand why he was tilting at windmills. And uh, I, I had a sort of sobbing fit in the middle of the field of wheat uh, all those years ago. And I had a moment of clarity that um, about how much fear had dominated my life in a way that I had been unaware of until that instant. I was never even aware that fear was a factor in my life until that moment of 
its first absence when I was in the Camino. And so that really changed my place in the world and the way I walked through the world. And fear, of course, doesn't go away the minute you name it, but it can never have its blind power over you the minute you sort of acknowledge those things. So that was a real revelation for me. And that changed my life. That started me traveling the world. That's what I, why I became a travel writer, all, all dating back to that one instant in the Camino. So I'd always wanted to walk it again. And I knew that I didn't want to walk it again right away. And eventually I thought I probably never would. Time was slipping away and I never would. And, but then my son, he was 19 and starting to leave home and all that. And I'd say one of the great regrets of my life is that I left home at 17 and never looked back. And I had no relationship with my father throughout his, the rest of his life and through my adulthood. And I think that was a real loss in, in my life. And I didn't want that to happen with my kids. So I had no template for then, consequently, how to have an adult relationship with a child of mine. So I, and since the Camino was so such a grounding and sort of self-revealing moment the first time, I thought it might be interesting to sort of share that with my son if he was willing to, to do that with me. And, and he was, surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, but... Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was trying to set new, new footing on our relationship as more of an adult one as opposed to parent-child in that way. You know, I have no interest in being my son's buddy or his pal, I'll always be his father, his dad. But one of the results of it was though I really, I think I began to see him and he began to see me as opposed to just, you know, it's at one point, I think I even say in the book, he talks about it's really difficult to see your parents as real people, yes. you know, and I think the same is true with our kids. You know, our kids are sort of like us in some ways. They may look like us. So we think they're young versions of us. And they're not. You know, one of those things that was really revealed to me in the walk was like Sam was responding to situations very different from the way I would. And like, oh, he's his own guy. Yeah. And to see that. And you can't honor that till you can see it. So I think that was one of the things that came from that was our seeing each other and in that seeing it creates space and then that space can be filled with a sort of a love and trust you know yeah i mean it's it's powerful and i was curious to know how the effects of the walk have kind of bled out into your post way life like have you seen changes in your relationship come from these five weeks yeah sure i i think um i now tend to, instead of advising or telling Sam, I tend to advocate for him, to him. It doesn't mean take it or leave it, but this, I'm, I'm fighting for you in the way that I see best and that you can take that or leave it. And I'm the only one that I'm, you know, because I'm your father, I'm, this is what I'm doing, you know? And so he sees that as what it is, which is advocating for him, whether he agrees with it or not, take it or leave it. But he doesn't see it as being told or being parented. I'm just respecting him by going, this is what I see and what I guess I would do, you know, which then leaves him the space to come to me and go, Dad, um, so this thing uh, happened. On the Camino, I had the greatest luxury you can have with adult children, which is time. Usually my, you know, he's racing out the door. Like, hey, Sam, you want to go have sushi for dinner? Yeah. Okay, I'll see you later, you know. <laughs> and on the Camino, there was just time. So, you know, you sit my son down to talk, you're not going to get very far, but you get him moving. Eventually, it all comes out. You know, we would start every day, and I would just stay silent and just wait. 
by night. And then eventually, whether it was five minutes or an hour later, he goes, so anyway, I was thinking, and, uh, and it starts coming out. He was processing a big thing in his life on our walk. And so I would just sort of wait for him to begin and to not have to have an answer, to not have to have a fix, to not have to have wisdom or guidance or any of that kind of parental stuff, I think was a great relief to him. And it was a challenge for me to just keep my mouth shut. I, that was one of the things that I noticed throughout is just the number of times that you were able to bite your tongue to just listen and not say what maybe you were thinking in your head. Oh, often, you know, and it was again, and because I knew I had time. If I didn't, if I just had 15 minutes of his time, I'd listen and I'd go, okay, you know what I think, Sam? And I would, you know, give him some off the cuff kind of thing. And, and to, to just, to knowing that I had the time and the miles with him to just let it, you know, people don't want to be told. We don't learn anything that way. And <laughs> especially so, at that age, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you want to figure out your own. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think it's like, I would like to think of myself as like a big backstop behind him on a baseball field, on a little league field. It's like, I'm here behind you. You go out there into the world. And when you turn around, I'm going to be right here and know that I'm here. But you go do your thing, you know. But that's an important thing to know that someone's, you know, got your back in life. I, I didn't feel that when I was young. I felt very alone in the world. So... You know, I won't, it's a fine line of letting them go do their thing. And then like, then no, but I'm here. So go, you know, there are times you want to say, dude, make a different mistake. But, you know. (laughs) Even one of your Camino friends, James, towards the end of the book, remarked on that, right? On, you know, seeing what a father-son relationship could be. The Camino is chock full of metaphor, you know, easy ones, cheap ones. And as you get to Santiago, the, the, the walk is across Spain to Santiago de Compostela in the northwest, and it's about 50 miles from the sea. And a lot of pilgrims then continue on beyond Santiago to Finisterre, which is the name of this place on the sea. And I had no interest or desire to do that either time. I just, my goal is Santiago, and that's enough for me. And but Sam kind of said, I'm going to walk to Finisterre. And which I thought was just, you know, the low-hanging fruit of that metaphor was just fantastic to me because that's what we want as parents is for our children to go beyond us, right? I mean, that's the goal. If you've done your job well, you set them up to go to exceed you, whether you're the first one to go to college, the first one to go to medical school or something. You know, that he went beyond me to the sea during the walk. Really, I found very meaningful and powerful. And I, it, I, I loved that that happened. Yeah. Know? That was surprising. I, I kept thinking that you were going to decide to go with him, and I love that you didn't, and just he had his own end in a way. I mean, I, 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 and a part of me wanted to want to go, but a part of me also yeah. knew it's none of my business. It, that's his. Even if I wanted to go, I wouldn't have gone. Like and I didn't. I wanted to sit my ass down, <laughs> but it was great to just see him go. And, you know, I as it was like sending a kid off to school or something because when I, I walked him to the beginning of the trail that morning in the dark when he was going off to finish there and walking back to town alone as he was going continuing on I was just started crying it was just like oh my god I haven't felt this alone since I was in third grade walking to school you know it's like wow um, parenting's a, that's a funny thing <laughs> how have you seen the effects of the Camino in Sam? since then because it it affected you so much for so many years it seems like i think there's a a a solidity in him and a knowing in him 
that I didn't see before. You know, as I mentioned, the book Sam had a terrible time in school. He was not a student. You know, if you don't, if you're not the square peg of the square hole in school, you're often uh, dismissed and or judged. They blame you for it and they don't see you. And I mean, that's all any of us want in life is to be seen, right? And so he didn't feel seen in school. And so consequently, the same way I didn't. And, you know, and what they tell you in school, if you're not fitting in that square peg, they tell you there's something wrong with you. And, uh, you know, I think that really harmed him the way it harmed me. I still, you know, all these years later, every September, I'm still glad I don't have to go back to school. And I'm still rail against sort of um, elite academia. It bristles me um, because I feel an insecurity somewhere, you know. But having said that, I think he then started to feel he was legitimate. He was enough. He was complete. And in something in the physical walking of that, it can't be taken away, you know. You earn your way across the country and into yourself, and no one can take that away. And, and then you realize it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I did it. It's mine. I don't care what you think. And not in, a, in, a, in an assertive way. It's, just, it's, it's un, utterly unimportant what you think because I know the experience I had, and there's something great in the knowing. There were several times that you or someone else would talk about walking your own Camino, and I thought that was a, a very interesting way to look at something that so many people have done is that everyone has their own journey in a in this very collective space. You know, I, I mentioned in the book the first time I walked, I, I got together with someone I, I had met on the Camino and she brought a friend of hers who had walked the Camino I didn't know very well, but he'd been walking the same days over the same land that I was. And he showed pictures from his trip and he told stories of his trip and it sounded like he was on a different planet to me. And yet we were on the same terrain and the same days. And I didn't recognize anything in his stories or very few things in his pictures, you know. So it's so odd. Um, it made me really realize in that moment all those years ago that every, not just on the Camino, but in life, everyone's having their own unique experience of of it. And who are we to judge? And so that's what it, that's what you learn. That's what everyone's when that line, walk your own Camino is about. It's like that you have no idea what that guy's going through or why they're here. You know, people tend to walk the Camino because they're at some kind of crossroads in their life, whether they know it or not. It's not something normal in our culture to go off and do that. So it's, it is like you mind your own business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that could be on the trail, off the trail, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they're all, I mean, the metaphors for life on the Camino is bound, you know? <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. Well, you talked a lot about the kind of memories and the impressions and, you know, the lessons that stuck with you from your first walk. And I was curious to know, I, I'm guessing it's been a couple of years since you did the second one. What are the memories or impressions that have remained with you this time around? You know, that's interesting about memory, first of all. I, I thought I remembered everything about that first Camino. And I, I realized I, you know, memory is a funny thing. Memory lies. And we, we, we morph our memories to suit the narrative that we either consciously or unconsciously need to have in our lives and uh, to justify things and to understand them. And walking the second time made me really realize that when I would go to places I knew I'd been to before and they were just so different and I'm like, this is not what I'm, and I know buildings rise and fall, but it wasn't like that. It was something else. It's like, this is not, I, I remembered so little specific. And there were a few places that were exactly as I recalled them, but others were, many were so different. So, but what I've taken from this one, I, I think is a sense of that, you know, as mundane as it sounds, is that, that we can trust our own experience and that it's enough. We spend so much time sort of unconsciously striving in a certain way or wanting, you know, a little not sure 
and so we compensate and do the you know and I think there's just something in the in the knowing that you know and we forget that all the time but when you're on the Camino too you really start to live the knowing in a certain way because all you're doing is walking all day long you're walking looking for food and looking for a place to sleep and on the Camino finding food and a place to sleep are not difficult it's not like you're on the Appalachian Trail carrying the world on your back and you have to know stuff you don't have to know anything to do the Camino you just need walking shoes and go and um, so I, I just think we can be trusted to ourselves so it's, it's a big deal If you're looking for a taste of something new, then I am excited to tell you about Foods That Matter, a new podcast that takes foodies to different corners of the world, unlocking the secrets of the globe's most extraordinary cuisines. Join host and food archaeologist John Robert Sutton, also known as the Indiana Jones of food, on a culinary thrill across the world, where you'll gain deep insights into food culture a better understanding of food origins, and learn how to discover these culinary treasures all on your own. Follow Foods That Matter wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, you traveled so extensively, and I was curious if you have thoughts about why walking in particular has such a unique power and walking long distances, not just like a little stroll, but... Well, I think even a stroll can have very um, profound effects on us. I think we were meant to move at a walking pace, which we rarely do in life now. And I think our brains work at a walking pace and in a rhythm of walking. That's why so many writers and people have said all these wonderful, great phrases about how walking is well known to you know fuel creativity. It's well known to sort of burn away anxiety and all sorts of things. I, I think walking has, um, I used to perceive it as just the slowest way to get somewhere. And now I have come to believe that walking is actually the event itself. And I, I think it's the natural rhythm of our, you know, our bodies and minds are, you know, inexorably linked, you know. And I think it's one of the things that the Camino gives you is that it, uh, it reveals your mental pattern. My, certainly my, it would reveal my mental patterns to me and my cycles of thinking and my emotional cycles in ways that um, you think it's life happening to you and things like that. And it's not. It's just your emotional rhythms and mental rhythms and often influenced by being hungry or tired and it's not the, the, the things that are happening in life it's my internal things that's influencing my perception of the things uh, that's what's really happening there are very few events that are asserting themselves and altering your you know they of course they happen you know cataclysmic events both positive and negative they can assert themselves into your experience but most of the time it's our perception of the experience that is causing our, um, our reactions in, to them. So uh, you, you really see that when you're walking on the Camino. That's why you're never bored. You know, it's never boring. You're fasc it's fascinating. You know, you know, you'd think, oh my God, that sounds so boring. This, that was never an equation. Sometimes you're exhausted and wish you could just quit and go home or whatever. Uh, but, um, which you can, which is important to really, you can, you can go home. You can hop in a taxi like Taxi Cab Roger, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to do? <laughs> Well, yeah, I want to go, okay, so go ahead, get in one. Well, no, I'm not going to, okay, then you're not. And let's deal with that, you know? So 
I don't, I don't know. I, I ramble. <laughs> but that's what also the things of walking does. It walking also allows the mind to ramble and to you know. I would walk with Sam. We'd be walking. Some days we'd have a conversation that might be able to take place in ten minutes, and it would take place over two, three hours because there are moments yeah. of silence. We just had fallen into silence, and our own we got into our own things and whatever. And then suddenly, fifteen minutes later, somebody go, "But I don't think that's true, actually." And you know, and then we would begin again, and then it would fall into silence again. And you know, only when you're going a long distance with somebody do you have the luxury of that to happen. Yeah, it's kind of like a long road trip. And I think, you know, with phones and distractions, we we don't have those kinds of conversations as much anymore. And it was interesting. I mean, you, you guys covered a lot of ground in terms of your conversational topics from the space-time continuum to flaming hot Cheetos. I mean, yeah, no, I really. Mean, we did, you know, and it's interesting about the technology. I mean, there are people that kind of leave their phones at home and make an active, assertive effort. No, no music, no, I no, you're, you know, no musical, you know, and we didn't do any of that. I mean, that's fine. Great. If that's what you want to do. And, but we didn't feel the need to do sort of impose anything like that, but it was interesting to see because I also think that my thinking and process is not that precious, you know. Um, so if I need to have, you know, <laughs> meatloaf playing in my ear and say, bat out of hell to help me get up this hill, I think that's just fine, you know. Um, which also then triggers all sorts of memories and gets the brain going in certain ways. You mentioned Taxi Cab Roger, and I wanted to talk about some of the people you encountered because... As I understand it, the Camino Francis, the route you walked, is viewed as one of the more social Camino, and you ran into a number of characters along the way, and I was just curious how important that kind of social element has been and was for you. Well, it was interesting because it's certainly, you know, the most popular route, for sure. I mean, it's sort of, I guess, the main route, I guess, but uh, and that's the one I walked twice, and the first time I walked, and this time with Sam, I found the first, we found the first two weeks, I was pretty, I was solitary, and Sam and I were pretty much among, with ourselves. And then at about two weeks into, other people just sort of organically became incorporated into our experience to the point where it was, you know, you just meet these people for dinner and stuff. And, you know, it was great to have that kind of camaraderie. And uh, it was really a relief in a certain way and a diversion. And it was also just really nice to see other people growing along the, along the way, you know. So, yeah, other people are a, big, are a big part of it. And you can be as alone or as social as you want to be on the Camino. Well, the book was, it is such an honest portrait, you know, of both you and your son. And I, has Sam read it? What, is, what did he think of the book? Um, well, he hasn't read it. <laughs> I, he hasn't? I, I oh, that's so funny. Sam, I said, Sam, I'm turning this book in. You might want to take a look at this. And um, <laughs> he's just not a big reader, you know. Uh, he read the first <laughs> dozen pages or so, and he flipped through. And he did read the audio book with me. So he says all his dialogue in the book. Oh, he does? So, he, oh, yeah. my gosh, how cool. Okay, so, all right, I'll have to listen to that. So his all his dialogue is, you know, Sam approved. Uh, the rest of it, I, you know, we'll have to see. <laughs> I think he's waiting for the audio book. Like my other books, he's, he's listened to the audio books on him. He hasn't read Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, would you do this again with him or with another child of yours? Yeah, if any of my kids wanted to do it, I guess I'd have to, wouldn't I? My daughter would rather go to Paris, she said, though. Uh, okay, so, right. no um, Camino for her. But I would, you know, yes is the, the short and easy answer. But it, it's one of the it's a funny thing, though, because the second Sam wanted to do it again right away, you know, and mm. I would love to go tomorrow. And yet what happens 
you know, I, when it was over, you're filled with such mixed feelings and the relief and exhaustion and joy and pride that you made it and such sadness that it's kind of over and that, that moment is never going to come again with my son. You yeah. know, we could go do it again, but it would never be the same. It'll be something else. But it needs some time to between, you know, maybe we do it again. He said, Dad, let's do it in 25 more years. And I'm like, dude, we got to do it sooner than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure I'd love to do it again, um, whether I with myself or with one of my kids or my wife. Or so, I, I would love to. I, I think it's a, um, I think you should pick your communal partner carefully if you're going to go with someone. But uh, because it's a big experience. And um so sure, I'd love to is a short answer, but I, I think I'd want to certainly give it some more time and some years before I did that again, because it, it takes a long time to process what happened. You know, the, those revelations sort of come slowly at a walking pace. Would you say you're still processing this mm, sure. most recent one? Sure. Yeah, interesting. Well, I had wanted to ask what advice you might have for other people considering a pilgrimage like this and so picking a, a good partner that seems like a great piece of advice but any other tips for seekers I, I would always just say what i say about any kind of travel go don't think about it too much go you know it's high you know, it'll be cheaper walking the camino than living at home for a month it costs you no money uh it's very you can live very very cheap on the camino it's not about money it's not you know if you can get time off from work that's a whole another issue but i mean uh you know, I often think people don't travel because they're afraid, and that's fine. But I, I really do think that's the primary reason why people don't go. Um, and the Camino requires nothing. You have, need to have no sense of direction. There are yellow arrows painted on the ground and on rocks and on trees that guide you across the whole country. You know what I mean? So you need you don't need a map. You don't need anything. And you just need a good pair of like day day. And I would tell you someone not to wear leather hiking boots. You know that you just need little day walkers. That's all you need. And you need, you know, you need to carry nothing. Two pairs of shorts and two t-shirts and off you go. And you can buy anything along the way that you need if you have to. And it requires absolutely nothing except sort of a commitment. And you can walk yourself into shape. You don't have to be in shape and train for the Camino. You walk yourself in shape and you can go as slow as you want to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that a couple of times, like the idea of taking a rest day, stopping for a few days. Um, so yeah, that's, that's great. I, I would have thought you'd need to prepare yourself for a walk of that sort. So that's, that's good advice. I was curious about, you know, in a time when travel can be so fraught, we have over tourism, there's climate change. Why do you think it's so important to continue to travel? Well, I think it's the greatest, certainly for kids, I think it's the greatest gift we can give our children is to create little citizens of the world. I think it's the greatest thing we could give them. You know, the Mark Twain line, the travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, says it all. I think America, my soapbox is that America is a great country. I'm proud to be American. I wouldn't want to be anything but American. I love living in America, but America is a really fearful country, and we make a lot of our decisions based in fear. And when you make decisions based in fear, not all my fearful decisions have been bad, but all my bad decisions have been based in fear. And I think we make a lot of bad decisions as a country because we're afraid and, you know, we're sold a bill of goods about the world. That isn't true. And I think people should go out and find out for themselves and come back. You come back changed by traveling the world. And then I think it's like 
that ripple, a ripple of stone in a, in a pond. Those ripples go out and out. You come back, change by it. You encourage somebody else to go. They go and they come back, change and they go and you tell two people and they tell two people. It's that kind of thing. You know, so I do think travel is the last best hope for the world uh, in a very real way, because that's the only way we're going to sort of see that everybody's the same. Everybody wants their kids to do well and have be taken care of and have food on their table. And, you know, everybody is pretty much wants the same thing, you know. And so and I think on a personal level, for me, travel has been the university of my life. And I think that I've learned about who I am being on the road and the farther from home I got the more at home in myself I I've, have felt and leaving our comfort zone is of course one of the best gifts that we can give ourselves and asking for help is one of the most profound things we can do for ourselves and I think all that happens when you're on the road and the sense of wonder that happens on the road is an amazing thing. We're so jaded and cynical and tired and bitter and angry and all these sort of things in our daily lives and we think we know it all, we got it all sorted out and we know best and you know all that stuff and you get out there on the road and you realize you don't know anything and you're just a vulnerable person and you need to ask for help. There's something that's really profound that happens when you say, can you help me? It brings us right back down to the right size. And I've never been anywhere where people have said no. And just going back to wonder for one last second, that sense of wonder that it creates, that innocence and that open-heartedness that it creates. Um, you know, you turn the corner and see the Trevi Fountain for the first time and just gasp. Oh, my God, look at that. And you turn and you look in my wife's eye and see her going, oh, my God, look at that. I heard the twinkle <laughs> in her eye. And suddenly we're reaching to grab each other's hands and suddenly – where I'm seeing the young person I fell in love with, and she's seeing the, the awe-filled guy with wonder in his eyes that she fell in love with, too, and not the <laughs> jaded, tired guy she sits across the breakfast table from, you know? And in that yeah. instant of connection, and travel's all about connection, right, to ourselves and to the world around us and to our loved ones, if we're with them or whoever we're traveling with. And in that connection, there's great energy. I came back last week from Botswana with, no, not last week, two days ago <laughs> on Monday with um, with my nine-year-old son. I, I was doing a story in Botswana and I took him and it was had an uh, you know amazing experience. It was uncomfortable a lot of time. It was no pleasure. It wasn't joy. It was like, okay, this is, we got to dig a hole and poop in the ground. And he's like, what? I'm not doing that. And I'm like, well, this is what we got to do right now, dude. And <laughs> him learning to do that and like being okay with that. And like, even though it wasn't fun for him, big experience. And he, you know, gets on the phone and calls his mom and goes, how are, how are the elephants? I pooped in the ground. You know? <laughs> That's a big deal. That is, that is a big deal. Yeah. And it's empowering. And, and it is. And that's what travel does for us. Yeah. We get at home in the world. And the world meets us more than halfway every time. There's that kind of sense of delicious disorientation, mm. I feel, mm. you know, when you don't know. And I think... It feels like that can be, it can feel a little unnerving the first time, but then you kind of get hooked on the not knowing of it all. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's, we're in a great place when we don't know. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, you've talked a lot about, you know, traveling with other people, but in your 2012 book, The Longest Way Home, you wrote that solo travel makes you feel at home in yourself. And I was curious to know how your view of solo travel has changed over the years. Oh, no, it's just deep. And I mean, solo travel is the best thing you can do with your time. I mean, and I, I think everyone should travel alone at least once. My God, I, I find solo travel just, it's like, um, 
learning about yourself on steroids. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. It's you know, and it's it's not about where you're going. It's just it's about where you're in your, being in yourself, where you're going, and learning about yourself. I, I think I don't think we could um, give ourselves a better gift than to travel alone. And again, people don't travel alone for I think for two reasons: for fear of physical safety, which is you know okay, but I often feel you know you may be as as safe on the streets of Paris or London or Rome as you are in New York City where I live, you know, and I think and the other is fear of loneliness. And uh, I think that's unfortunate because alone is something we are an awful lot and we ought to learn to reconcile ourselves with ourselves, you know, and people make a lot of bad decisions on because they don't want to be alone, so they just latch on to people and things that they maybe shouldn't. So I think it's okay to eat alone in a restaurant, you know. Yeah. No one's looking. Right? I mean, you that's know, actually... We think they are, but no one is. <laughs> yes. Uh, having a drink, reading a book, and eating dinner is one of my favorite oh things my God, to do. Oh my God, that sounds like heaven, doesn't it? That's I know. Heaven. Like, yeah. get away, other people. Just yeah, leave me well, alone. <laughs> that's the introvert you're talking about. Oh, yes. <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir there. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think traveling alone is where it's at, of course. But, you know, don't tell my family. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, it sounds like you balance it very well. What, what was the most recent solo trip that you've taken? There you go. That's there. how bad it is. That's how bad it is. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't in a while. Yeah. Sounds like you might be due. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were also an editor at large for National Geographic Traveler for years, and you obviously still continue to you know travel and write. And where are you at in your travel writing journey? I don't write near as many articles for um, things. I, I sort of started writing more books, which I've enjoyed very much. And, you know, I'm someone who likes as few votes as possible in my life. And <laughs> when writing books, there's really only one vote. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Um, good or bad, it's my fault. Uh, but also, you know, I think travel magazines have sort of gone the way of the dinosaur in many, you know, as far as one of the last excellent magazines there are. Most, so many of the other ones are just sort of now lifestyle magazines, you know, very few travel magazines and travel sections and newspapers exist. I got into travel writing in about 2004 and sort of that 10-year period there, that was sort of the last hurrah of that in a very real way, it feels like to me. Um, so, but I do, I do, I mean, I, I love travel and I love writing about travel. So I, yes, I still enjoy doing it. I don't chase it as hard as I did. I mean, I, I found when I got into travel writing, it was a real creative rebirth for me in a way I'd struggled with. My, uh, my acting career had sort of blossomed very quickly when I was young and then sort of plateaued in this way that wasn't that interesting to me. So when I discovered travel writing, because traveling had been so profound in my life and to then to be able to write about it, and I intuitively knew two things about, about travel writing, which is what we were just talking about, that travel is meaningful and it changes your life and it's important. And and the other thing I knew intuitively was tell a story, don't sell a destination. And I knew that just, I suppose, from all the years of acting and directing, of telling story, focus on story. What's, this, what's the focus? Like when you're directing, it's like, what's the, what's the story of the episode of TV you're directing? What's the story of the scene? What's the story of the shot? It's always, what's the story? Always. And so I knew that. And so whatever destination I'm writing about, it's like, what's the story you're telling about it? Because you're never writing about a destination. You know, this book on the Camino is like, it was a perfect hook to do the emotional story I wanted to tell about parenting and fathers and sons. And so the Camino was a perfect 
vehicle for that. And I knew that each would feed the other. Yeah, yeah. Are there other travel writers or travel books or, I don't know, just writers in general? I know that Jack Hit Off the Road was kind of the impetus for that very first walk that you did, right? Well, Paul Theroux's books really um, changed my life. You know, his travel books are particularly... um, I first whatever it was the old Patagonian Express and someone gave me that and the idea of go, go far, go alone, don't come back for a long time, get out of touch was that was a revelation to me. And so that's what I started doing. And, you know, that, that led me to sort of do the first Camino in a very real way, as much as Jack's hits book did. And then uh, then that philosophy carried me through sort of then traveling alone, you know, many places. I, I think that his books are uh, were really impactful to me and pico wire is a lovely travel writer and but i don't read that much uh travel yeah well thank you so much for joining us and it's been a real delight to chat with you and yes again congratulations on the book i i really enjoyed it oh thank you thanks very much it's really nice to talk to you it's it's, it's always fun and energizing to talk about travel Yes, you know? yes, it is. I know. I'm like, I need to leave today. I know. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, the only thing better to talk about is doing it, right? Yeah. I know. I know. I've had, I actually have had itchy feet recently. So where are you going? I'm actually going to France in June and then Wisconsin for a panel. Um, and then actually my my dream for this next year, it was put on hold because of COVID, but I want to walk the um, the Kamano Koto in Japan that pilgrimage trail. So that is, I'm planning to do, it depends. You can kind of make it your own. I think some people do it in like a week. I'm hoping to do maybe two weeks um, and spend three weeks to a month there total in Japan. So, um, but yeah, I I can't wait. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. I did. I have to say about the Camino, a lot of people walk the Camino very, um, they pick it up along the way and most people probably walk just the last five days yeah you know, yeah you can get your compostela this sort of badge that you'd walk the camino if you walk 100 kilometers but um i, I found the longer the, the rewards come in the sheer attrition of wearing down and, you know the longer you can walk the better you know these people that come and walk for the last five days okay great that's a great toll you could get away for cool that's great and more power to you but i do think the the sheer wearing down your defenses is where mm-hmm. it's at. That's where the gold is. You know, I I really did feel finishing your book like I I would like to go walk that and and have that do the long you know the five week five hundred mile version and I haven't previously and so thank you for that inspiration because I yeah that kind of wearing down and seeing where your mind takes you and your emotions take you it. It's appealing, intriguing. And it, and it builds you back up in a way that's so solid and so welcome and so attractive. You know, what I would see the other pilgrims that like as they're nearing the end, particularly there's a point when you're about 100 miles out where you've really hit your stride and you're not close enough to the end to start having anxiety about what's going to come next, but you're really <laughs> in the flow of it. And everybody, it's just, I would see these people that I've been seeing for a couple of weeks now, they're just sort of blossoming. It's just, it's just really attractive feeling and, uh, and, and sensation and, and uh yeah, a real pleasure. Right when you get to about Leon and just after that, it's really, uh, you know, wonderful. God, you make me want to go again. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. All right. Well, you also, owe, I felt like you own that, um, the the credit the credit card pilgrim. 
Oh, well, that's an interesting thing. That That's an interesting thing. The kind of notion of, you know, because along the way in the Camino, there are these albergues and these sort of um, dormitories. Usually, initially, they were built and run by the churches in every town because it was a religious pilgrimage. So they would have, you know, big rooms with bunk beds, whatever, and you could sleep for a dollar or two, a euro or two a night. And they still exist. But, you know, I'm 60 years old now, and which is shocking. That's a whole other story. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I didn't need to have people climbing over me to get to their top bunk and waiting in line yeah. in the bathroom. And yeah. I'm like, you know, what am I doing? This I got nothing to prove in this way. I'm just walking, you know. And so to sort of accept that and kind of go, I'm going to stay at this nice little pension for 20 euro a night and have my own bathroom. <laughs> you know, that to me. I mean, there were certainly nights where we did stay in Albergas with people. It was lovely and fun. And you don't sleep near as well. And, uh, but yeah, this, I, Letting go of all that kind of stuff for me is uh, like this. What has to be done this way? Nonsense. Nonsense. There's, there's many ways to do it as there are people. I have to admit, I left that conversation with a real temptation to walk the trail myself, the full version, and as soon as possible. I'll let you know if I actually do it. As for Andrew, we'll link to his new book and his previous books, as well as his Spin the Globe for us in the show notes. You could read more of Andrew's work on andrewmccarthy.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew McCarthy. Instagram in particular has some really fun photos from Andrew and Sam's communal walk. And if you too feel inspired to take a big walk, we'll share a few resources in our show notes. Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. The magazine is at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Drop us a line at afar.com slash feedback or email us at unpacked at afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it.